Thank you, brother. Hey, Hope Church, such a joy to be with you again tonight. I praise God for your faithfulness to leave your warm home and to come to church on the Saturday evening. If we are meeting with the Iglesia Daxa tomorrow morning, so I pray that I will still have some voice to preach to our church. I believe I will. Um, such a joy. It's a... Uh, um, it's a, a love thing with you guys, huh? We are together for a long time now. We've been, uh, I was there at the church lunch. I think I say that every time I come here to preach. But it was such a joy to see the church coming alive and to see many of you joining throughout the years. And, uh, and the Lord has been faithful to this church. I remember uh, a, a lot of really uh, fun memory in the school, in the Montessori school. And uh, the, the Lord has been working in and, uh, and through you guys. So I praise God for you. Thank you so much for joining us on our lunch day. It was such a joy to see uh, what oh, almost 20 people from this church coming to encourage us on our lunch day. It was such a blessing to be celebrating that with you. It was so significant. Thank you so much. We love, we love you guys. We love your pastor. We love Pastor Ray, Pastor Kevin. Uh, we love Natalie dearly and the kids, the boys. Uh, you are such a testimony of God's faithfulness and, 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 and your devotion to the Lord. And you are, your family is truly a display in which the glory of God is shown to the world. And I'm so thankful for you. Every time we spend time together, my heart, my wife's heart is so encouraged. And uh, your perseverance is, is, is producing many fruits. And we are looking up to you guys and praising the Lord for your family, each one of you, and for Kevin and Amanda, it's such a joy to be partnering together for the gospel. Um, today we'll be in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We will be talking about a subject that is not super popular, but so important and useful. So you notice my accent, for those of you who see me for the first time, I want to say that, uh, that uh, I'm... Uh, I'm not preaching the same in French as in English. I preach better in French. <laughs> I, I'm not preaching the same. But you know what? The word is the same in French as in English. So it will be all right. <laughs> the, the Lord will work through his word. So uh, tonight, if you don't have a copy of God's word, I, I, I'm asking you to raise your hand up high. And uh, someone will give a Bible to you. There's someone in the middle and in the back there in the front there also. Um, if you don't own a copy of God's Word at home, it is the gift of this church to you, so you can keep it. If you already own a Bible, please return it after the service. Um, yeah, so we'll be in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 1 to 8. And um, this message is not, is not really easy in some sense, but super encouraging in another sense. And uh, tonight we'll look at this passage that talks about sanctification about walking in holiness, about fighting sin in our lives. And I want to ask you this question. When, when someone asks you, what is the will of God for your life? What is your first answer? What is the will of God for your life? You said what? The, the word of God, that's a good answer. What is the will of God? Because we hear so many pastors or group saying that the will of God, the Lord has a wonderful plan for your life. You heard that, right? You heard that before. The Lord has a wonderful plan for your life. I believe it's true. 
But sometimes it doesn't mean what the Bible means by saying that. The Lord has a wonderful plan for your life. In many cases, it means an easier life. In many cases, it means a trouble-free life, a comfortable life, and a let-go-and-let-God kind of life, a rich life. Don't talk to me about discipline or struggle or suffering or effort. No. I want the Lord to tell me that I'm made for great things, right? That the will of God for me is to conquer giants, make Goliaths fall. And to be invited in conferences and share my story. I want to be seen by the word. The Lord has a wonderful plan for my life. And it's to use me in those powerful ways. And to make life easier. Is it your understanding of God's will for your life? So what is God's will for your life? Do you know? So you are a GCC church here. Like we are in Broussard. You have the, the distinctives. You know that we are churches that are really focused on making disciples. So we are committed to the great commandments. We are committed to the great commission. And we want to make disciples in every area of our life, in our, our life church, in every ministry that we are doing. And that's true. But in order to be faithful to that mission, in order for each one of us to be faithful in the mission that God has given us, We need to understand God's will for our own personal life. We need to understand the call that God has given us in this text that we will read together. What is the will of God? In this text, we will see that the will of God is for you to change and to be transformed in order to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the will of God for our life. According to Romans 8.29 and the rest of Scripture, your personal holiness is God's will for you. You think of that when we ask you what is the, the will of God for your life? You know, many fear that if we talk about sin in church, if we talk about holiness in church, that people will leave. People will not like that. It will be challenging. It will make people uncomfortable. And they will leave. In fact, I preached this very sermon last summer in our church. And after the sermon, one woman left and never came back. And she said, I don't want to be in a church surrounded by sinners. And I don't want to be in a church where we talk that much about sin and sanctification. Just scaring you before we begin. I hope it will not happen tonight in this place. But the will of God is our sanctification. Many fear to talk about sanctification and holiness because we are, we are so often man-centered, you know? Through the ages, many men left the right teaching and sound doctrine of the Bible by fear of being hated or by not succeeding in their ministry, by not filling the seats of the church. They've chosen to preach a grace that saves sinners but doesn't change a single thing in their lives. What I call an unholy gospel. It created false converts and false assurance of salvation. And like Thomas Watson, a Puritan of the year 16, in the 1600s, said, How many pastors have sown pillows under the people, making them sleep so securely that they never woke until they were in hell? And that's the right reaction. <laughs> Ooh, we don't want to do that. In the church in Montreal and in this church, I know it's your heart too. We want authentic Christianity, right? We want the true, the true thing. So in order to stay awake to grace until we reach heaven, we often need to be hit with hard truth. 
And today is one of these wake-up messages that I want to preach to you. My question is this. Will you seek to live according to the will of God for your life? And if you say yes to that question, the engagement statement for you tonight is this. The main idea or the engagement statement. I want you to be uh, engaged in this and, and, and resolute in this. I will intentionally Feed my hunger for holiness to the glory of God. I will intentionally feed my hunger for holiness to the glory of God. So now I heard that you stand as you read God's word in this church. So please stand with me as we read God's word and we sit under its authority. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1. Finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You may be seated. This is God's word. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are standing before you tonight in humility, not believing that we can do any of this that we just read together in our own strength. Lord, like the Thessalonians in the first chapter of this letter where Paul reminds them how they receive God's word, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. We want to do the same thing tonight. We want to receive your word. We want to receive your living word, the word that shapes us, that transforms us, the word that enlightens our minds, the word that conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ, your son. So, Lord, I pray tonight that your Holy Spirit will just take his sword and work in our heart in a way that only you can do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a text. What a text. So, tonight we're talking about holiness, sanctification, killing sin. I will intentionally feed my hunger for holiness for the glory of God. Why would I do that? First of all, because holiness is pleasing to our God. Progress. First of all, because holiness is pleasing to our God. Progress. And we look at verse 1 to 3a. First of all, it says this. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing. That you do so more and more. 
For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. In this church, in our church, we do the same thing. In the GCC family, we love to preach with one main idea. And here Paul is giving us the main idea so clearly in this text. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It cannot be clearer than that. God's will for your life and mine is our growth in sanctification. Is that we, we grow more and more into the image of Christ. Here in this first three verses, the apostles use three tense. Three tense to talk about what is going on. The past, present, and future. He says they have received from Paul how to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Past. They are receiving now the encouragement through this letter that they are doing the right thing in the present. He says here, just as you are doing, do so more and more. And that's the future. They are, they are receiving that encouragement. And then he, he, he solemnly called them to grow or abound. More and more in this good path that they are walking in. So now and for the future. So he's saying you receive the truth and its instructions with faith and joy. And we praise God for that. We praise God that the Thessalonians receive the truth. And, and in their joy, in their faith, they begin walking in the way that is pleasing to the Lord. And he says, it's good. Keep going. Don't stop there. You need to continue to walk in that way that you learn from us. Please don't stop. Pursue these things and grow in them. In what? The will of God, our sanctification. You need to bring it to mind. You received it. You need to remind yourself of this truth. And you need to continually aim all of your life at it. So there's a question that if you are born again in Jesus Christ, there is a question that you cannot answer on the negative. Do you desire to please God? Yes. If you're a Christian, the only answer is a resounding yes, absolutely. That's the desire of my heart, the greatest desire of my heart. I want to please the Lord. I want to live for him. I want to look at his word and follow him. And he's saying here, your sanctification is pleasing to God. It's his pleasing will for you. question is, will you seek it? Note here in the text how solemn this call is. Oh, Solomon, look at, at these two words in verse 2. Look at these two words. He, he says in verse 1, ask and urge. You see that? Ask and urge. It means imploring and almost begging in the Greek. Almost begging them. Urging is, is push, pushing hard. Exhorting with urgency. Paul is pleading with them and insisting strongly, I implore you to walk in holiness. Do not take this lightly. I implore you. I'm urging you. Please walk in holiness as you are called to do. Work on your sanctification. And he adds to that in the Lord Jesus in verse 1. Look in your Bible. On behalf of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who humbled himself to take our place on the cross. Because he loved us so much. In the name of the one who is resurrected and who will one day judge all of humanity. In his name. I'm urging you, seek holiness. Progress in holiness. It's amazing that you started well, praise God, but it's not time to slack off. Same thing for you, church. You started well. Six or seven years ago, the Lord planted this church, and, and you've been through a lot through these years. But it's not time to slack off and to say, okay, now we are on cruise control for the rest 
of the time. You know, the right way to live is not always to try and find new things to do. But to continually growing, to be continually growing in the right things. Today, maybe it's the only thing you need to hear. Persevere. Don't give up. You are doing the right thing. Maybe for you today, it's what you need to hear. Some of you are tired of following the Lord's will while life's not getting easier. Right? Isn't it like that? Sometimes we will look at those who reject God and see how easy this seems to have it. They seem to have everything that we are aiming for. They seem to have a lot of fun in the things they are working in. They seem to, to, to have all the things that we want to have. The vacations and the happiness. And they seem to find in sin a lot of joy that we have difficulty to find in faith. We are struggling to find happiness in our life of faith. And they seem to have it so easy. And sometimes we envy them. We ask in, and we say to ourselves, maybe I'm too uptight. Maybe I'm taking this too seriously, this Christian thing. You know, I've, I have a lot of Christian friends. And they are doing what I believe when I read the Bible that is sin. But they seem to be okay with it. It seems to be easier for them to live that kind of, of double life. Why should I be so tight on my belief? Maybe if I change the way I'm living, it will be easier. Maybe I will be happier. I want to tell you tonight, don't. Don't believe that. Don't do that. It's not true. You are doing the right thing in pursuing holiness. The will of God is always the right choice. Brothers and sisters, always. You know the fable of the rabbit and the turtle? I don't know how you call it in, in English, but you have this rabbit and the turtle doing a, a, they are running, trying to win the race. And the rabbit seems to have a really good time, right? He's talking to rabbit girls on the way. He's taking a nap on the way. He's eating on the way. And the turtle seems to be so struggling. But in the end, the turtle wins. And the rabbit loses. Maybe you don't see what the Lord is doing in your life right now. But keep being faithful. It's the right thing to do. You need to hear that. In fact, that's what Paul is doing with the Thessalonian here. He's just, he's just telling them, keep going. You are doing the right thing. You heard it, and you walk in it, and it's good. Keep pushing in the right direction. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you think it's hard to resist temptation, isn't it? But it's worth it. Keep going. You are doing the right thing. Some of you maybe are going through a very hard time in some of your relationship. Maybe even in your marriage. Painful relationship. And it's hard to keep being kind and loving. And it's hard to keep hoping that things will change. But don't give up. Keep going. It's the right thing to do. Keep trusting that the will of God is better than our own will. The Lord is pleased with your obedience. And he will do his part. His smiles on you is worth way more than everything that the world can give to you. He will make the sun rise again on you. Trust him. There's a wonderful truth here, uh, here under the surface is this. It's that as we walk in a matter that is pleasing to God more and more, He uses our very walk in a way that is sanctifying. As we are obeying to the Lord, as we are walking according to His will, He is working in us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggle. 
So when it's hard and you want to give up, don't. You don't see what fruit is produced because it's happening in you at that very moment. The Lord is producing something in your heart. So the will of God is your sanctification. But two questions remain. What is exactly sanctification and why is it pleasing to God? And the answer is about the same for both questions. So sanctification is this. Sanctification is the progressive transformation of the believer into the image of Jesus. On one side, and the daily putting to death of sin in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the progressive transformation of the believer into the image of Jesus and the daily putting to death sin in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So sanctification is twofold. Putting off the flesh and putting on Christ. Killing sin and embracing Jesus. It's abiding in Christ daily and in our worship of him, we are transformed into his likeness. At the same time, we are fighting the desire of sin that wants to kill us. That's sanctification. It's not a call to be perfect in this life that Paul is giving the church here. You will not be able. I am not perfect. You know that. You are not perfect. There was only one perfect man who walked on this earth. It's a call to grow towards perfection. Paul says in the text here, you need to grow more and more. You need to do so more and more. And when he, Paul talks about that transformation in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, from one degree of glory to another. So it's progressive. So okay, it's okay if you're not perfect right now. It's okay if you're not there yet. I am not either. The question is not how much are you growing, but are you growing in sanctification? Are you? Can you look at your life and say, I can see that the Lord is working in my life. I can see that I am not the same person as I was before. Only one man was perfect. And he is the reason why sanctification is pleasing to God. Only one was perfect. He is the reason we pass from death to life. From being slaves to sin to being free of its power. He is the reason why my sanctification is pleasing to God. Because God is holy and sin separates us from him. It cuts us off from his glory. We cannot see him as he is. We cannot be in a relationship with him because of sin. So of course God hates sin. We cannot come to him in our sin. Our, our sin is our death certificate. Since Adam sinned in the garden, it's, it was passed on to each one of us. And God needed to find a way to save us. From his judgment, from his wrath on our sin. And he did. Of course, God hates sin. It cost him dearly. His son, his only begotten son, died on a bloody cross to pay for our sin and to make us holy. It cost him dearly. If we believe in him for the forgiveness of our sin, we are saved from wrath, we are saved from death, and we are saved from sin. So Jesus makes it so precious for us to be walking in holiness. The reality is that if we despise the gravity of sin by neglecting it in our life, we are also despising the great sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for us. So with thankful heart, we, we seek holiness. So the question remains, do you want to please God? Do you want to follow his will? The answer is simple, be holy. Seek holiness. Mark Owell, who is a Bible commenter, he said this then. Our walk must be our priority. God's will must be our guide. And God's approval must be our passion. Our passion. But sadly, holiness is 
threatened by the power of entertainment. It's hard to grasp the ugliness and danger of sin when our mind and our thoughts are so occupied by the thousands of distractions that this world is throwing at us. The lullabies of entertainment is putting us to sleep in order for us to not hear God's voice saying, Be holy as I am holy. For sure, if holiness is pleasing to God, the devil will rage against it. For sure, if holiness is pleasing to God, our flesh will rage against it. And our world will push us in the, the other direction. But there's a war for your soul. And Paul identified in the rest of the passage the main competitors to our sanctification. So we are called to sanctification. What does it mean? How does it play out? And, and what is the enemies or, or, or against what do we need to wage war? Number two, holiness reflects our God. Profess. In verse 3 to 6, it says this. Yes, God has called you to sanctification. And he continues his explanation by saying that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of, the, of lust. And look at this. What, what he says here. Not in the passion of lust. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warn you. Well, there's many competitors to holiness, and probably we have the three strongest opponents right here in the text. Sexual immorality, lust for what belongs to others, and greed. Sex, money, and the love for things. But first, do you realize... In reading this, that Paul is tracing a line, in the, a line in the sand. He's making a distinction. He says that God is choosing to himself a people, a people that he sanctifies, that he separates from the rest of the world. And the teaching here is that there is a very clear distinction between, between the church and the world. Very clear between the church and the world. In our day and age, we like to say that, oh, Christian, we are just like the world, except for the grace of God in our lives. In some sense, it's true. But we use that so often to justify the sinful way of living of, of supposed Christians. Oh, we are just the same. Yes, we are only saved through grace. That's true. But once we are saved, the grace that saves us also sanctifies us, changes us, makes us pure and holy and distinct from the rest of this world. God wants to show His holiness and His glory through the church. How will He do that if the church is the same as the world? The church is called to be different. On one side, they are giving themselves to sin freely or without restraint. And they will receive the wrath of God by the avenger. On, on the other side, we abstain from all of this. We control our body in holiness and honor. And we won't be judged. There's a major difference between the two. Major. And that's the main point. The way we live is a proof whether we know God or not. Look at the text. It says, like the Gentiles who do not know God. The people that lives in sin. The people that give themselves to sin are the people that do not know God. Are we these people? We are those who know God. So the main thing is that true faith is seen in holy living. True faith is seen in holy living. That being said, 
there's still very strong temptations in the life of a Christian, right? Are you still sinning once in a while? Are you still struggling against sin? Are you struggling to be holy? Yes, there's still attack on our faith. There's still some strong temptations. And the most aggressive may be the first that is stated here, sexual immorality. And we need to talk about this. Sexual immorality. Sexual sin in all its form. It was without a doubt the greatest challenge in the Thessalonian church at the time. Sex was considered to be a pleasure as common as eating and drinking. And you could find places and people with whom you could satisfy these portions about everywhere in Thessalonica. Because the body was not important. Only the soul. So I can do anything with my body. But God considers our body to be important. God is calling us to purity. Because the way we live our life with our body is testifying to which God we serve. The way we live our life is, is testifying to what is inside of our body, in our heart. So what is your life proclaiming right now? We live in a world that is saturated with sensuality. At the moment in time where the pornography industry brings in billions of dollars every year. In fact, I'm a proud Quebecer in some ways, not in this way. But the second most profiting pornography website in the world is run right here in Montreal. Pornhub. Bringing over $3 billion every year. Right here in Montreal. What a Quebec pride, right? But it's telling, isn't it? Our world lives for these things. It's such a business. It's such a business. Statistics on pornography are staggering. Pornography is ravaging families, couples, and even the church. So many of you men and women find it so hard to live a holy life and to know the joy of living for Christ because you are captive to this dependence. It's keeping you down and, and it's discouraging sometimes to think, will I ever be able to get out of this thing? On the website of Covenant Eyes, which is a, uh, which is a software for Christian accountability that you can have on your laptop, on your, all of your devices to fight porn addiction, we find many statistics, and I will give you some to you. We find out that 68% of divorce case involves one of the spouse finding a, a lover through the internet. Just by spending time on the web, finding someone apparently that will make you happy. It says that 56% of the divorce case involve a spouse having an obsessive interest in pornographic website. 70% of the women of a pornography addict husband are diagnosed with a sort of PTSD. It's leaving sad traces behind. Apparently, a prolonged exposition to pornography often leads to a diminished trust in the couple's intimacy. The false belief that promiscuity is natural. And listen to this, a lack of interest for family and caring for their kids. That is so sad. Because of our addiction to pornography, we are neglecting our family. That is so sad, extremely sad. You know how, how much hours a father spends with, uh, with his family and with his kids in, in average in Canada? One hour per day. And we spend over five hours per day on our devices and screens. 
It's ravaging family. It's extremely sad. But we can say, what about the church? Listen to this. In the church, 15% of Christian women admit looking at porn at least once a month. And this number rise to 64% with men. It's a real problem. It's a real problem and we cannot be okay with it. Even if we say, yeah, but you know, Pastor Eric, it's, everybody does it. You know, it's, it's common. Yes, among the Gentiles who do not know God. It should not be that way with us. It should not. You say, okay, talk about us, but talk about you. What about pastors? The statistics, the statistics shows that one out of five youth pastors and one out of seven lead pastors admits looking at porn on a regular basis and struggling with this sin. In the U.S., it's more than 50,000 church leaders. With our more than proud Montreal-based company right here, we cannot think it's better in this place. It's maybe even worse. And these are only the statistics about pornography. We haven't started talking about laziness, screen time, like I said, which is over five hours, and it was a statistic before the pandemic. It's risen even higher than that. What about alcohol abuse? Or like Paul says in this text, the wrong we can do to our neighbor by envying their stuff or the greed that make us go around the word of God. Holiness as competition. And we, think, we need to think hard to ourselves right now. Will we just let go and let God? Will we just say, okay, th that's fine. The Lord will do what he has to do in his time. No way. Brothers and sisters, we need to listen to the call of God here. The will of God is your sanctification. True faith is seen in holy living. So what God is your life professing? Because the way you live your life, you're telling something. That's why this point is professing. Because it says the Gentiles who do not know God practice this thing. But the people of God practice other things. We live in holiness and that's a testimony through our life that is, is, is screamed to the world around us. They need to see a distinction between the people that don't know God and the people that know God. So right now you begin to feel the weight. Just want to tell you don't be crushed by the accusation of Satan right now. Don't just be under the legalism kind of mind. I don't want you to leave this place saying, I'm so bad. I'm not. No, but feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit to uplift you to go and live in the way that God is calling you to live. We are called to abstain from these things and to live holy lives. So maybe the Lord is calling you today to discipline yourself, to take radical, radical decision in order to learn how to fight back and seek holiness. Do not just go with the flow. Make war. Make war on sin. We are not like the Gentiles. We know God. We know how, how he is worthy. We know, we know his goodness, his excellencies, his love, his grace. The price of Jesus' sacrifice to free us from sin. I love this quote by Leonard Ravenhill who said, is the things, uh, Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Teaching of Paul here, talking about, about the, the avenger is simple. He says that if you live in sin, you have no assurance whatsoever that you belong to God. That means that the holy life is a great comfort for your soul. When we live in sin, 
We have no assurance that we are belonging to God. John Owen said, if you seek the things of the world, do not be surprised to also receive the reward. The reward, it's hard to say, of the world. So how will Jesus make himself known on earth if it's not through his holy church? We may feel the weight right now. Maybe we think I'm sinning so often. I'm listening to him. I'm a bad person. I feel it's so hard to get rid of sin. It's discouraging and I have no clue how it can change. I have no hope. Let me relieve the pressure right now. Let me charge you with hope before we end this message. Look with me at verse 7 and 8. Point number 3. Holiness is God's calling. Press on. Verse 7 and 8 goes like this. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Really simple summarization of his teaching. He's coming back and saying, here's the summary. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. You are called to this. It's, it's not only the will of God for your life, it's also his call for your life. You need to pursue this thing in your life. And, and the teaching of the scripture about holiness from the Old Testament to the new one is so clear that Paul is telling us here that if we reject the teaching about sanctification, we are rejecting God himself. He solemnly warned us in verse 6 and he hit the nail again by telling us to really think about what we are doing here. If we reject the teaching about seeking holiness in our life, we are rejecting God. We are disregarding him. That's the risk we are running if we say, that's not for me. I want just the, the, you know, the grace part of the gospel. I'm saved by grace and I need to do nothing else after that. It's true. But the grace that saves us changes us also. So again, if you are born again, if you are a Christian tonight, there's a question that is impossible to answer positively. Do you desire to reject your King and Lord? No way. The thing is, it's really hard to obey and walk in holiness, isn't it? It's one of these things that, that's easier said than done. Yes, I'm called to a holy living, but I find myself failing again and again and again. Sometimes I even wonder, Lord, is it even possible to live holy lives? The answer is yes, it is. Yes, but you will need holy help. It's possible, but you will need holy help. And that's exactly what Paul is pointing us to here. God is calling you to a holy life and he is giving you his Holy Spirit. The author of scripture. The author of your new birth. The Holy Spirit, the one who raised up the Lord Jesus from the dead, would also raise your dead bodies. The God who comes live not only with us, but in us. I was wondering when we... When we sang just before and we sang to the glory of God, to the glory of God, we often think of God the Father, often think of God the Son. But do you think of God the Holy Spirit when you sing that? He is God. He is the almighty God. God the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that he comes live in us. God in us. That means you are not alone in this fight. Is that great? It's clear from Scripture that Scripture is the main tool that the Holy Spirit used to sanctify us. So we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit who comes live in us. The Holy Spirit who, who comes in us and attests to our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit who makes us pray, Abba, Father. 
the Holy Spirit to change us, to open our eyes and, and show to us the glory of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit who is the seal of God, that we have the assurance that we will be with Him in heaven. It's the same Almighty Holy Spirit who lives in us and helps us fight sin. And He used the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, to do that in our life. So a couple of verses, then we end. Jesus himself, before sending us the Holy Spirit, will pray to his Father. And he will say, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says that the Bible, the word of God, is the sword of the Holy Spirit. It's the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to transform us, to chisel us, to change us. The Holy Spirit is the one who fills us and guides us to walk in the will of God. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5 verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So each and every day we are called to be in communion with the Holy Spirit, to walk with Him, in partnership with Him, and to ask Him, please help me again to walk with you in my life so that I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He will do it. Listen, maybe the reason why it's so difficult for you is that you've been trying all alone for all this time. You know, it's not by standing in front of your screen and saying, I will not look at it, I will not look at it, I will not look at it, that you will finally not look at it. It's by, it's by throwing yourself to the feet of the cross. It's by throwing yourself in the arms of the Father. It's by throwing yourself by being dependent to the Holy Spirit in your life. You've been trying to live a holy life without the holy help of the Holy Spirit. And it's not working. You have no chance if you try that in your own strength. You need to rest in Him. Jesus said in John 6 verse 63, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Isn't that clear? One last verse in 1 Peter 1 verse 2. The apostle talks about those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. We see the Holy Trinity in our salvation right here. The Father elects us. The, 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 the Son just paid for us on the cross, died for our sin, and the Holy Spirit is renewing us, transforming us to be obedient to Christ. So, brother and sister, you're not alone. Trust Him. He will do it in you. Abide in his word. Walk in communion with the Holy Spirit in order to live a life that is pleasing to God. And if you sin, and if you fall again, we have an advocate in heaven with the Father, Jesus Christ the just. With the holes in his hand, pleading in our favor. Come to him in repentance and the Lord will forgive you again and again. But stand up and fight again. Because that's what you are called to as the musician come upstage, Paul is teaching us that it's impossible to walk in holiness in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. You are called to this. Press on. You are called to this. It's pleasing to God. I love this poem by Brother John Beridged. It's a poem that testifies to the truth of the gospel. You know, the Lord is not only calling us to come to him. He's not only calling us to come and live a life of holiness. But he is giving everything to us that we need to live in this kind of life. It's not like the other religions. I'm telling you, it's not. It's not like do the right thing. Be a good performer of your faith and you will be saved. 
But it's trust in him. I'm calling you, but I'm also giving you everything you need to fulfill the call that I'm placing on your life. John B. Ridge said, run, John, and work, the law commands, yet finds me neither feet nor hand. But sweeter news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and lends me wings. Amen, church. Let's stand up and pray together. Our Lord, we love you so much and we are so thankful that you are our God. We're so thankful that you are a gracious God. In your grace and mercy and love and faithfulness, you did not just call us to follow you and to live a life that is pleasing to you. But you're also giving us everything we need in the person of the Holy Spirit that lives in us to walk according to your will. So, Father, I pray. I pray for the Holy Spirit conviction in this place. I pray for the Holy Spirit's joy, strength, and hope that it's possible to not live like the world, but to live more and more according to our call to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those who are here and, and hearing the gospel for the first time, that they will believe that you are the God to save. You are the God to change us also. And Lord, we want to look more and more like Jesus. We know we will not be perfect in this life. But we are so looking to this day when our eyes will open in heaven. And we will look on your face and be transformed completely to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That wonderful day we are waiting for with anguish. Lord, I pray, sanctify your church. Let your glory be shown to this city, to the holiness of your church. In Jesus' name. Amen.